Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, is back on the pod after some much-deserved rest and relaxation, I hope. Um, Scott, I I did grant the time-off request for you, so I I hope you are grateful. But uh, good to have you back. How's everything going? good was trying to get out and do some camping but the weather had other plans so went out to see my brother it was a good weekend uh thanks for holding it down and uh excited to talk mostly recruiting but uh yeah have some fun on this one yeah it's it's that time of the year we we just mentioned right before we uh we hit record here like the, this is the worst time of year because it does force us to get into a lot of recruiting stuff that i mean to be completely honest I, I think there are other people who do recruiting better than we do. So we kind of take a different angle on it, right? We're, we're not just going to give you oh this kid and here's the lowdown on, on what type of player he is and, and the relationship he has with Mel Tucker. Like that's just not really what we're interested in. So we're, we're taking this from a little bit different angle and we'll get into that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the official visits, the unofficial visits for that matter, everything is open to us now. And, and Mel Tucker certainly taking advantage and, and getting off on a hot start uh, on the recruiting trail. So we'll hit on that. We got a big hire within the program uh, that, that should be a very significant piece in, in this thing moving forward that we'll touch on as well. Uh, but before we get into that, I mean, like I said, there isn't really a whole lot else going on in the program and elsewhere in sports, there's a ton going on, man. I mean, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, um, what, what's really catching your interest right now, Scott, I know you're a baseball guy too. I mean, the Tigers suck, but are you finding yourself, uh, really locked in on any of these other sports going on at the moment? Yeah, it's kind of a bummer this time of year as a Detroit sports fan because it, it kind of stirs up the, the memories of, of the better years for each franchise. Um, I I guess am paying a little more attention to the NBA playoffs, but usually when I don't have a horse in the race, I wait till like the conference finals in both league to really start to dial in because there's just so many games and um, I don't have secondary teams. I live near New York City, so I try to gravitate towards them, but I kind of grew up hating all their sports teams. So it's it's a struggle. Um, so, yeah, you just spend this time biding my time, enjoying the summer and, and thinking back on 
on the good Detroit years. Hopefully we got some more good years uh, around the corner here. It's, good. Um, it's, it's a wide it corner think, that we have to get around. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, more of a long curve. Um, it made me think like, what was your favorite in your lifetime, favorite Detroit or any sport really? I'm just, or any city, just assuming it'll be Detroit favorite playoff run uh, that you can remember pro sports. Yeah. You know, that, uh, that Tampa Bay lightning run just really no, I obviously Detroit, you know, this, you know, what, what kind of bothers me sometimes. And I see this all the time and I, I'd never have understood it. And I, I think to a certain extent, like Detroit, we're one of few cities around America that have four major sports teams in our city. So to be in Detroit and to be a fan of someone else, it it doesn't really logically make sense. And it doesn't really happen that often, as often as it does a lot of other places. But like, you know, I listen to Dan Patrick's show every day. Uh, the guy's an icon. He's, he's the best to do it in sports radio. And like, there's a dude, the 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 booker on the show, Todd Fritz, who like, he's a Houston Astros baseball fan. He's a Denver Broncos football fan, and he grew up in Brooklyn. And like, I don't understand how people live that way. I, I truly, it blows my mind that people just choose to root for teams that aren't in there. Like, okay, if you grew up in St. Louis and you lost your football team, like, yeah, pick another team, I guess. But I, I just don't get that. So for anybody who's living in the Detroit area, who grew up in the Detroit area, who's not a Detroit sports fan, shame on you. Uh, specifically, I'm talking to Scott Tripcheck, but I just, um, no, I, we've had a lot of good runs, man. And especially going back to like our childhood, we were both, we were both born in 94, right? I know I was born in 94, obviously. Yeah. Um, I've been to three championship parades that I can remember uh, between the wings and the, the Pistons. We had those great Tigers runs in, in our lifetime that in our memory, obviously the lions have, uh, have not picked up their share, but we had, uh, the Detroit shock. If you're a WNBA fan, Bill Lambeer leading the ladies to a championship, we've had quite a few titles in our lifetime uh, and quite a few title runs as well. Um, one that sticks out though. I don't know. That's tough. What, what's, where are you heading on this? So this is tough. I kind of nailed down the top one for each team. So the lions are out. Um, <laughs> we almost had one so... that freaking Cowboys game and the blind ref, uh, Brandon Pettigrew. Well, and there was the Seahawks game too. Yep. I mean, it, we don't need to get into that. It'll take us to the end of the, <laughs> to the end of the show. But um, like the Pistons, Oh, four obvious choice. Um, the Red Wings. Oh, eight. I was, was really the only like cup win that I was old enough. I feel like fully appreciate. Right. Cause we like early two thousands, we were like seven, eight years old. Like, you know, it's exciting and it's fun and everything, but you don't really have enough years under your belt to really appreciate what a championship means at the, at least that's how I felt. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, my favorite run was not a championship, and I'm going to go with the 06 Tigers um, because I grew up going to Tigers games in the summer. You know, they were absolute shit um, 
early 2000s, but it was fun. I was a young kid. You know, you get out to the ballpark, see the players, get a couple autographs. Um, Shane Halter gave me his, his bat after batting practice one game. So, like, I had that emotional link to the team. And then <laughs> My, all the that, and, and they were That's bad. just a quick, like, um, uh, because I'll forget about this. My my irrelevant former Detroit sports athlete uh, memorabilia, I have a glove from former Lions fullback Jerome Felton. So we got <laughs> we got titans of Detroit sports memorabilia. Jerome Felton and Shane Halter, <laughs> the Mount Rushmore of Detroit sports. Um, so anyway, yeah, I grew up like, being a Tigers fan, even though they stunk because it was fun. I played baseball growing up and it was it was great. And then all of a sudden they were good. And I was like, whoa, like it's a lot more fun when they're good. And 06, you know, they they didn't have Cabrera yet. Verlander was a rookie. So it was like it was kind of a mismatch of of good, not great players. But it was a great season, a great run. There was a ton of energy in Detroit that year. Um, obviously, the Red Wings were great at the time. The Pistons were still great at the time. The Lions were still terrible at the time. Um, and it was just a fun run. I mean, it didn't work out. The Cardinals beat us in five in the World Series. But um, it was kind of – I was still young enough that I, you know, didn't get dragged down by all the details. But I was old enough to really appreciate a good team. And it was my favorite sport at the time. So, yeah, that 06 Tigers team, you had, like, gum time. You, you know, it just had – it was one of those seasons that had character to it. It wasn't just another good The season. Maglio walk-off. Yeah. Yeah. Probably my favorite sports memory of all time. Yeah. I, I've never really been a baseball guy. I never played baseball when I was younger. So that's probably why I never really could like appreciate the finer things in the game, which, which I feel like is essentially, it's one of those where the reason people love baseball is they grew up playing it and I just didn't grow up playing it. So I never really gravitated towards it, but that, that world series run still, like I, I do remember we were going to house parties for like every other playoff game with the family and family friends and everybody was, I mean, it had the city of Detroit bumping. I, I definitely remember that. Um, I guess for me, it has to be the, the Oh four Pistons. Like I, across the three non-lions uh sports i think the pistons have always been my team because basketball was always my other sport besides football so those pistons teams and, and it's a weird thing because usually there's kind of the there's the the process and the failure and then eventually you you reach the mountaintop and with the pistons it was funny cuz it was kind of the opposite like we weren't a playoff team. We get into the playoffs 0-1-0-2, bow out in the second round. 0-2-0-3, we get to the conference finals and get swept by the Nets. That w- I remember that uh, run specifically because we beat the Orlando Magic in Game 7, and Tracy McGrady was on the Magic at that time. And that dude was going for like 45 a night, single-handedly willing them to a Game 7. And then... We won it in our third year in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden from then, there was the almost repeat where we we faced a game seven with the Spurs and Robert Horry hit that shot from the top of the key. And then from then, we were going to the conference finals every year and just couldn't get back over that hump, whether it was LeBron or the Celtics or I think there was a Dwayne Wade Heat team that beat us in there. And that title run was so 
it's so funny because I think you you brought up um, the that you were watching some old Red Wings highlights recently. I was watching some 04 Pistons highlights recently. And you know the funniest part about this that is what we've been this is what we've been <laughs> reduced to is watching fifteen year old highlights on YouTube because that's Detroit <laughs> sports now. But you know what the the funniest part is is I'm watching all of these NBA playoffs right now and and the game of basketball. It it's night and day, man. There was uh, it was that that uh, playoff game against the Pacers, the year that we won the title, where Tayshawn Prince had that chase down block on Reggie Miller to to seal that game, and it was it was showing the highlights of that whole game. It was like mid third quarter. It was like forty five to forty two. <laughs> it was just like. It was, you weren't watching the game of basketball in 2021 and the game of basketball in 2004 are not the same sport. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see like the old four Pistons, very defensive driven team going up against a juggernaut and offensive team from now and just seeing how much the, you know, this offensive stars of today, would they struggle against like a put together team defense like that? It would all depend on the rules. If we had today's yeah. rules, we'd get run off the court because we get fouled for everything. If if we went back to oh four rules, that's okay. where shit could get interesting because you would you would have like I let's say like the those great warriors teams, right? Yeah. You would have Steph Curry driving into the lane to do one of his fancy little finger rolls and Ben Wallace would just slam him on his ass. <laughs> and there would be no flagrant. Imagine. It would just be a regular foul and so you would get some of those some of those people would get put into their place a little bit more. I think Draymond yeah. would translate either way. Uh, his game would change. Say, imagine a matchup between Ben Wallace like a series, playoff series between Ben Wallace and Draymond Green. Oh, that would get chippy. Yeah. yeah. No, but, but that, I mean, that would be, if it was today's rules, we'd lose by 50. But if it was back, back in, you know, 04 rules that it would get real interesting where you had like Rip Hamilton and Chauncey Billups who were great perimeter defenders because they could take advantage of being a little bit more physical out there. Like if, if you had today's rules where you can't touch anybody, yeah, we, we'd get everybody in the starting five would be fouled out. We'd be reduced to like Darko, Antonio McDice, Corliss Williamson, and Clifford Robinson. And <laughs> I love those guys, but you know, <laughs> it's, they were bench players for a reason. But um, except for Dice, man, Antonio McDice, one of the more underappreciated Detroit sports players of all time. There you go. Yeah, he was, he was the sixth man for a couple of years in there, but. I don't know um, if he did. He ever us. win like a six man of the year? He, he had to be close because he had like he had a couple Andre great Iguodala kind of guy. Yeah, Andre. Yeah, Antonio but, McDice. Yeah. I I truly believe like he he could have started a lot of other players, uh, a lot of other places. We just happened to have that good of a team where you were starting Rashid Wallace at the four. You had Ben Wallace at the five. You're not going to take either of those guys off the court. You had Tayshawn Prince, who was that long wing guy, and there just wasn't room for him in the starting lineup. But he was the number two overall pick in 95 and, and had a pretty damn good career. He was our sixth man. Like That team was was just awesome. And the midseason trade for Rasheed Wallace, and the way like he, he 
ingratiated himself so quickly. Like Detroit is a town that I think, especially at that time, it was so blue collar and it was because Detroit at that time and Detroit now, man, you talk about the difference in basketball, like the difference between the city. Holy hell, man. That was a, you come in for work. And as soon as you get out of work, you're, you're leaving, you're getting the hell out of the city. And so it was, it was tough. It, It was just a tough place to be. And for Rashid Wallace to just walk in and immediately ingratiate himself with the fans the way that he did, just his attitude, the where he guaranteed the uh, that was the game seven. I guaranteed it. <laughs> it's just like I love it. I love that dude. The, the way he was. That's the throwback. Just shit talking his way up and down the court. Yeah, he he fit into that team like a glove. Uh, it couldn't yeah. have been more of a perfect trade. Yeah, closing the loop here, Antonio McDice, uh, I don't see any awards. He made one all-star game. He was all-rookie first team, and he was all-NBA third team once, um, not in the same season. Couple player of the week in the NBA, that's about it. But, yeah, definitely a contributor. So, Had like a 15-year surprise, career. Surprise to Detroit sports fans growing up in the late nineties and early thousands didn't pick any Red Wings. I feel there like they some... deserve at least a quick <laughs> shout out. We were they were just always good. So it's hard to pick like one season that would stands above the rest. Yeah, and that the the more most recent of the uh, of the cups that it just I don't know, it it felt bought. Right where we just went out and got Brett Hall and Luke Robitaille and Dominic Hasek and um, who was the, who was the goalie we got from Toronto? Um, Joseph Cujo, Curtis Joseph. Um, it just I don't I don't know. It it just kind of felt like an all star team. It it wasn't that Detroit. You know, you build the team through the city through the you know guys that have been around. It, it yeah. didn't really match. I think the city that well. And then, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I don't get me wrong. I mean, hockey town, I went to at least one playoff game. I feel like every playoff run that we had mm-hmm. Joe Lewis holds a special, special place in my heart. It, it, speaking of that, when was the last time you've been to downtown, like in Detroit? Uh, probably like two years ago, but I, I was there to visit somebody. I don't think I actually like because stopped around the city. Joe Lewis is like the, the last that I had had been in that part of town, like along the river on that side of town, it was, you know, in the process of getting torn down. And, and there was, I mean, the whole structure was still there. It's gone. It's just a grass yeah. field. And yeah. that, that was bizarre, man. That that was a little piece of childhood that just got ripped out of my heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did that to Tiger Stadium earlier. The Joe is gone. I think the palace is supposed to get demolished. Yeah. I it might even be like halfway gone right now. I haven't been over yeah. to Auburn Hills in a minute, but the Silver Dome's been slowly <laughs> decaying for 20 years. Uh yeah, yeah, a lot of memories. And now we've got these new stadiums and we need to put some banners in them. 
Yeah, I I was uh, a Pistons season ticket holder the first year of of uh, Little Caesars Arena being open. I was living like a two blocks away, um, so I ended up getting season ticket. It was awesome. I I loved it. Our team sucked, but <laughs> it was pretty cool. See, yeah, the palace is demolished right now. Um, but it was pretty cool just being there. You get to see all the other teams coming in, all the other star players. I think the NBA does such a good job of marketing its stars better than any other mm-hmm. sport by a long shot. And so you get to see a Russell Westbrook come into town. You get to see some of those guys. And that was a pretty cool part of it. We ended up getting courtside seats the last game that I was there, which was awesome. But all right. Now well, we've we've had some good runs, and like you said, hopefully, uh it it might be a long corner that we have to traverse, but you know we'll we'll get back there eventually. Uh, maybe by the time we're like so, retired, we'll get another championship run. I was hoping for a smooth transition. This is an MSU football podcast. If you're still with us, thank you. <laughs> it's the off season, man. <laughs> you enjoyed that, thank you. If you didn't enjoy that and you're still here, thank you for tolerating our ramblings. Let's talk a little bit of MSU football. I think the biggest news, the biggest single piece of news this week was our new hire, Kevin, if you want to tee that up for the folks. Yeah, so the the hiring was the director of player personnel is the title, and that went to Saeed Khalif uh, coming over from Wisconsin. And I guess... It's it's one of those staff positions where if you're not like intently following the program, it it may just kind of go in one year out the other. It's it's not an on-field position coach. It's not somebody you're going to see every day, but it's somebody who's going to have their fingerprints all over the roster. And Saeed Khalif comes in from Wisconsin, like I mentioned, and you think about Wisconsin and you think about a team who doesn't really do it through recruiting. They, you know, they get their, their big guys up front and then they kind of fill in the rest of the spots and, you know, they have, they have enough talent to, to do what they do and and play the style that they play. And then when they get to a big 10 championship, they, they get smoked by Ohio state because they're more talented. Well, the last couple of years, they've started bringing in a couple nice classes. I mean, He's been there for the last four years. They were the number 46 class in 2018, according to 24-7. This, his second year there, they jumped up to 29, then to 26, then to 16. So to bring in a top 20 class at Wisconsin, I, I think that's uh, that's certainly a sign of things to come, or at least we hope so. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a position that doesn't get a lot of kind of it's, attention you know it's not in the media it's not very fan facing uh director player personnel but they're really laying the groundwork for the entire recruiting approach um you know mel tucker's talked about how he wants to develop an nfl style scouting and recruiting um program and in this is this position and uh this hire is really the spearhead to that entire process you know they're the ones who are meeting with every position coach and say okay tell me the type of players you're looking for and they build a plan on how they're going to find those guys how they're going to approach them what the visits will look like you know which coaches are interacting with them um they really get the entire plan and vision in place uh for the coaching staff to find their guys and it's a really important position 
um, even though it doesn't get, like we said, a lot of public attention. So you mentioned, you know, his accolades and the progress that Wisconsin's made the last few years. Um, I do like that he was in the same position at Wisconsin. So it's not his first gig as the director. You know, he wasn't an assistant director. This is his first time kind of taking the reins. He, he's been doing it with success at a good program. Interestingly, at a program that is very similar in stature and currently stronger in stature than Michigan State. Interesting that we lured him away. Obviously, I don't know what, you know, contract details or other incentives there are, but to take somebody from its, the exact position at Wisconsin, bring him to Michigan State, it's exciting to know that, you know, not only can we attract some decent talent in the early in Mel Tucker's career from a player's perspective, but we're also attracting you know, decent personnel on a staff perspective who maybe don't have, you know, the really tangible incentives to shift from, let's say from a Mac school or from an assistant position, you know, it's the same position. So, um, you know, that, that I think bodes well for, uh, you know, our future. In his background as well, uh, Mel Tucker kind of touched on this in his press release, but he has coached high school football. He was a defensive coordinator at the college level at Savannah State at a lower level, but like he's he's been on the field coaching, developing players. Uh, like you said, he's held this exact role before. Uh, he does have some playing experience. He was defensive lineman at Georgia Tech and played a little bit of time in the NFL. So he's got like the whole well-rounded resume that you look for a guy who played guy who's been on the field coaching and he knows kind of what the coaching staff is looking for in that sense, um, as, as well as a guy who's been in this position before. So yeah, according to the press release, he'll be, uh, basically in charge of where did this go here? MSU's recruiting strategy, evaluating the current roster, running an NFL education program, organizing a pro days, um, so yeah, he's going to have his fingerprints all over this roster the next couple of years. And, and, uh, you know, when we start to look at how Mel Tucker has done this tremendous job that we think at least, you know, we'll see how it turns out on the field of, of just turning over this roster and turning over the talent. Um, this is going to be something that Saeed Khalif is going to be really involved with, uh, in the trenches. So again, somebody that maybe this is the last time we hear his name to any significance in the next couple of years, but just know that this is kind of that puppet master behind the scenes. That's pulling all the strings. That's, that's putting this thing all together. So this, this was a huge hire and we wanted to make sure we, uh, that it didn't go unnoticed and that, that we gave some time to it because of, of its importance. So speaking of personnel, player personnel, recruiting, et cetera, um, the other big news this week is that this past weekend, or this, I guess, current weekend, as it's still Sunday, is the first uh, official and unofficial visit weekend, so in person. Um, so, I mean, you can read into the tea leaves and say, well, hey, you know, first opportunity to go to a school and he chose, these guys chose Michigan State, that must mean something. I probably wouldn't put that much weight into it. But um, it's exciting nonetheless to see which guys are making it a priority to get up and see campus. Um, and we had uh, nine, I believe, official visits this weekend. A uh, couple exciting names. Antonio Gates been linked to the program for a while. Antonio Gates Jr., that is. Um, Nico Martial, quarterback just 
decommitted from Florida State, uh, coming out from Arizona. And one that I know we have a little bit of extra chatter around, Alex Van Summeren, um, who obviously in-state guy, links to Michigan. His brother just transferred from Michigan to Michigan State, got a really healthy offer list with all the top schools. Um, visited, interesting tweet, Kevin, if you want to uh, inform the fans if they haven't seen it by now. The, the best way I could describe it is he's holding the Paul Bunyan trophy like a baby and saying... <laughs> Uh, Paul is in good hands, thanks to, and then he he tags uh, MSU's director of on-campus recruiting, Lee, Lisa Benchime. Benchime, I don't know that ch could be a couple different things. I hope, or, Lisa, if you're listening, I apologize. Uh, Mel Tucker, Scotty Hazelton, Ron Burton, etc. So, yeah, the the best way I could describe is he's wearing an MSU jersey, the full get full get up cleats, pants, jersey, everything. And holding a holding the Paul Bunyan trophy like a baby. So the the thing we were talking about is like, okay, we, we don't want to make too much of this, obviously. It's just a tweet, it's a fun thing to do on the visit. But how do you go from you're an in-state kid? Like you said, your your brother played at Michigan and transferred to Michigan State. You know the significance of this rivalry and the significance of that trophy. I don't think you can post that tweet and then turn around and commit to Michigan in the same calendar year. Like you can't, can you? I mean, like think about it the other way around. If if you were wearing the full Michigan get up, the winged helmet, holding Paul Bunyan and saying Paul's in good hands, and then turns around and committed to Michigan State, I would I, there would be that little in the back of my head where I'm like, I, I don't know, man. Like I saw that tweet. I, I you know what you were doing there. You're an in-state kid. Like you grew up around this rivalry. So yeah, that, that was a good, again, we don't want to take too much of this, but uh, that, that was something that certainly caught my eye a little bit. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's great rivalry fodder at a minimum. You know, if you are a tea leaf person, feel free to feel encouraged by this and, and, you know, assume he's going to commit to Michigan state now and, you know, have fun with it and have your heart broken. Maybe who knows that's, it's all part of the fun of the recruiting carousel, but awesome tweet. Uh, really good player. If he does, you know, find his way to Michigan state, it would be an incredible addition to the class. Um, but just love, love seeing that. I hope, you know, we get a little Sunday afternoon viral Twitter beef, you know, get the juices flowing between the fan bases a little bit, but uh, yeah. So so back to the point, though, we do have on-campus visits now, um, some exciting names, and, and we've got, I think 247 has a nice kind of all-encompassing schedule of, of visits through June uh, for this class, and, and there's some names on there. We won't go through the whole thing, but, but Kevin, I mean, what do, you, what do you think the vibe is these days with on-campus visits, and how does it change, you know, how you approach recruiting versus the virtual world we're coming out of? Yeah, we we talked about last offseason, like how good of a job Mel Tucker was doing quickly improvising and getting involved with the Zoom stuff with virtual campus tours and and all of that. And I I thought he did a a really good job of, of adapting to the new circumstances, right? But this is the first time that he's been able as a head coach to welcome recruits into Michigan State on an official basis, right? Before then, there you were able to 
you know, fly out to Michigan state on your own dime, stay in the hotel on your own dime, um, and, and visit the campus without stepping foot in the football facilities. And I know a couple of guys, especially like local, uh, recruits had, had done that, but this is the first time where it's, it's able to be done on an official basis. You get to go to the facilities, you get to try on the Jersey, take pictures with the Jersey and everything. So, um, it's a huge difference, man. And it's a huge deal. And I know Mel Tucker is somebody who, I mean, he's preached since day one, how important recruiting is to him and, and recruit every day. That's their mantra. So you, you can bet your ass that they were prepared for this and that they've spent a lot of time organizing everything to make sure that these kids had the best experience possible. What I'm wondering is, and we'll get into, there's another kind of topic that sprays off of this, but I, I, this kind of just popped off. So Scott, I, I uh, might be catching you off guard here. If, if, uh, if I am, I apologize, but if you were, let's, let's say like you're the kind of big brother, um, veteran on the team, right? We, we both spent years and years in East Lansing and coach tells you, all right, Scott, you, you got the fill in the blank recruit here. Um, Joe Smith, um, you know, you got him today. All right. So you're, you're going to show him around town. You're going to show him around campus. You're going to, you're going to show him around, show him a good time, man. He's going to be here the whole weekend. Like what's your move, right? We talked about, this is a while ago. I remember we had the discussion on the pod about how we're, we're far enough removed from 18 years old life to, to not a hundred percent be able to relate to that. But uh, with that said, like Scott, if, if I put you in charge of a kid and said, all right, this is a five-star, we just need him to have a great time. Uh, we'll, we'll handle the football stuff, but we want you to show him around campus. We want you to show him a good time this weekend. What's, what's your move, right? We're, we're recruiting this 17, 18 year old kid to try to, to avoid Alabama, to keep him away from Clemson and show him why he should choose East Lansing. What, what's your move? Where are you taking him? Oh, well, probably straight to deja vu first. Um, I'm just <laughs> um, it's tough because like, I mean, these guys are football players. Obviously, they're excited to see the football program. But at the end of the day, like you said, 16, 17, 18 year old kids, they're really excited to go to college, too. Right. And with everything that that entails. So you got to have some fun with them. Um, I don't really know what kind of line, you know, that I'm sure the coaches lay, lay some ground rules. Right. I don't really know like what, where the line is drawn. And if there's like a little wink, wink involved of like, Hey, don't let him have too much fun. And then like throw a wink in there. I, th- I mean, like, I think it's one of those things. Uh, I, I don't have any, any insider information on this, but I, I would like to think that it's one of those things where the coaches do their homework, you know? And they talk to the high school coaches, they talk to teammates, you know, whatever, um, they know what kind of kid it is. And like you said, I think there are some kids where it's, Hey, uh, don't get too crazy, you know, have a good time. And then there are some kids who they know from talking to the coaches that they're, uh, you know, they're a four Oh student. They got a 32 on their ACT and it's like, Hey, this kid's actually going to come here for school. Like, <laughs> so I, I think you got to know your audience a little bit, but I do yeah. think that there, there are some kids I'm sure who the coaches 
they they do their homework, man. They they know what these kids are like, and they get the yeah. you know, all right, go have a good time. Don't get arrested. <laughs> yeah, and, and you hear the stories too when it goes too far, right? In various sports settings, you know, whether it's current athletes or recruits, you know, I mean, there's anecdotes abound of, you know, kid on recruiting visit gets you know way too drunk, whatever. But there's also um, a story I heard from. Uh, you remember the whole thing with Cam Newton and getting paid. And yeah, there's there's a story that that went around that I remember where it was Cam Newton's dad, and you know one of those he's not on staff, but he's you know the booster or whatever it is that's that's controlling the the finances, and you know it's kind of this awkward nobody nobody wants to be the first one to speak, you know you you're kind of toeing the line of we both know what we're doing here but we're not going to directly talk about it and i guess cam newton's dad basically just said like all right so how much are we talking (laughs) it was just like (laughs) it caught the dude so off guard because you know usually it's this unspoken agreement kind of thing (laughs) but right yeah yeah but I mean, campus visits, I don't think I'd be the best tour guide, honestly. Um, there are parts of MSU that I didn't even experience that I wish I did. Um, but I think you ease them into it. You got to you gotta feel it out, you know, get the vibe of the kid. Because sometimes, you know, the high school coaches, the parents or whatever, they'll, they'll tell the coaches, this is the kind of experience we want our son to have. And then there's what the kid wants to do. Um, <laughs> so you got you to gotta vibe, you know, read the vibes a little bit. Um I'm sure the on-campus stuff is pretty regimented by the the staff. You know, they're bouncing them around, right? Different, yeah, yeah. That's that's all scheduled and out. Tours and meetings and whatever. But you know, when when the workday ends, you know, take them out to your favorite restaurant, get them in the middle of town, take them to Atlas, take them to you know, wherever your Peanut favorite barrel. spot is. You know, get them. Yeah, bring bring a squad of your your teammates so they get kind of the feel of you know just an evening with your with your but your buddies your teammate your little inner circle and you know then just test it out and play around a little bit and see what they like and then head to Harper's because we know they don't check IDs right. <laughs> if they want a sticky floor maybe check out Rick's yeah God I re- I remember when Brendan uh, our old roommate he was. Uh, a quote unquote bouncer at Harper's and there was a girl in, in line ahead of us. And she, she told, I forgot my ID. And he's like, it's fine. Just show me like a credit card. I really don't care. Just show me something sideways, but you don't understand. I have an ID and I forgot it. Like literally show me your debit card. I don't care. And it was just, it was like five minutes. And eventually he's like, all right, I can't do this anymore. Like you have to leave. <laughs> it takes that level of commitment to not get into Harper's. That I don't know. Maybe, maybe like, it's changed in the last five, six years, but her friends dragged her out. She intentionally left her at home. Cause she's like, Oh, if I don't have it, I won't have to go out with it. You know? And then she's like, please send me home. I don't know. But Oh, that was hysterical. No, I, I, like you say, you got to read the room a little bit and, and get a feel for the kids. But yeah, I, I always think that's an interesting dynamic to it, but no, we were talking. So, you know, like I said, at the beginning, we, we, we dip our toes into the recruiting stuff, but we're not going to get knee deep into the names of these three-star kids that are coming in and breaking down their, their highlight tapes. The question for me is more just that, you know, hey, we're talking recruiting, we're talking priority kids for the staff. Like, 
Is there quarterbacks aside? Because I think that's the obvious answer. Is there some kind of of position and archetype that you think would make the biggest impact? Like, you know what? If we could bring in just a a, a speedy, like deep threat wide receiver, or if we could bring in like a technician pass protecting left tackle, like what's the one non quarterback again? that you think like if you can wave the magic wand and bring in a, a high four star, a five star kid that is of this play style and position that you think would make the biggest impact that would jumpstart Mel Tucker's tenure that would just really get things going for MSU. Is there anything that really sticks out to you? I mean, when I think about building a team, regardless of the level of football, I always think you have to start in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I think Ron Burton's doing a great job of keeping his room full and keeping dudes, um, you know, rotating through there. I think when I look at the offensive line, um, I went back and forth between outside and interior. I'm going to say just an interior offensive lineman who can play all three positions in there. You know, I mean, you look like you look at a guy like Jack Allen, and I know he's an all American. You can't necessarily bank on somebody like that, but like a high right. But, hey, star, we're we're, wave, we're waving the magic wand. We can okay. All right. We can take some so liberties like a, here. An, a, at least an all conference potential high four star interior offensive lineman who you can play wherever you need him in there, and really, I mean, holds his own in pass pro. Interior is a little bit easier in pass pro, but really a guy who who can develop the run game at all those positions so when you have guys dropping in and out with injuries or you know somebody doesn't pan out at one position where you thought he would you can bounce this guy around and say you know what I trust this kid I know he can play these positions he's going to do his job he's going to you know get to the second level and open up holes I think that does such a good job because it develops the run game it takes a lot of pressure off the passing game while you're trying to find your quarterbacks. I was tempted to say a big bodied wide receiver. I mean, to make an NFL comparison, like a Julio Jones type where he's really physical, gets the jump balls, but still has an athletic profile. So he's not that tall guy you throw in, in the red zone because that feels like it's been lacking a little bit in the last few years. I mean, you look back at, you know, guys like Cunningham way back in the day, who maybe he wasn't, you know, that take the top off, but you could throw it up in a one-on-one situation and you knew he had a good chance to just body his defender and get the ball, but you got to, you got to have time to get the ball to a guy like that. And I don't think we necessarily have the interior presence to, um, to do that right now. So I go interior offensive line. I mean, I wouldn't hate a tackle either. I just think you got to shore up, literally start where the ball's at and move out from there. Yeah, there's something to be said about like I I think because the first thing I thought about with an offensive lineman is all right, but there's five of them. So how much how much of an impact is one guy really gonna make? But then you look at uh, like a Quentin Nelson in the NFL. Like obviously that's that's a future Hall of Famer from day one. You you can see it, but look how much of an impact he made on that offensive line. Just just the attitude the the nature of that position it it can make a big difference on the offensive line as a whole when you have that one dude who's just in there he does his job every single play 
and he can kind of change the whole attitude of an offensive line. So I think, I think there is something to, to be said about that. The direction I actually was going was a wide receiver. And the reason being is, is I just kind of, you take a snapshot around college football right now. And obviously it's, it's going to be the quarterbacks, but look at all the best teams and what they're doing right now. I mean, Alabama's had four first round wide receivers the last two years, Ohio state's putting out first round wide receivers every year. Uh, Penn state had a little run there in the big 10 where, where they were putting out Allen Robinson and, and those types of, uh, of Chris Godwin's and they were winning nine, 10, 11 yeah. games. Jamar and Chase, LS2. Jamar, yeah, Jamar Chase, J- um, Jefferson, he, uh, what was the other dude? Terrace Marshall, who got picked in the second round. Like, it's the quarterbacks. Florida, the, the t- but, Kyle Pitts down yeah. in Florida. And then uh, Kadarius Tony was a first round pick. Yeah. It's, man, I, I think the game is changing and the ability to have these game breaking wide receivers. I mean, it makes the quarterback's job easier, it makes the offensive line's job easier because they know. You know, like because the the archetype that I'm kind of looking at is is a kind of separator, right? Think like you know, I'm not expecting a guy to come in and win the Heisman, but think like Devonta Smith, who he was just open every play. He beat his dude off the line of scrimmage, and then he beat his dude again in the middle of his route, and it was just you had like three open opportunities to get him the ball. If you wanted to get it to him early, if you wanted to get it to him in the middle of his route, if you wanted to get it to him late and you were scrambling around, he was open the whole play. I mean, so that type of dude, I think, just makes such a big difference. And nowadays, like, yeah, these these teams are putting out, it's not just one guy, but Clemson, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams, Justin Ross, they're putting out first round guys every single year. Ohio State's putting out first round guys every year. And I think that's kind of where this whole thing is headed. If you have those game breaking wide receivers, it makes everybody else's job a whole lot easier. It makes the running backs job easier because they can't stack the box. It makes the other wide receivers jobs easier because they probably have to double team this kid. So that's that's kind of where I went. That like ultra route runner separator wide receiver, the the lightning feet the the guy who's just he's going to get open on every play and you can count on it. So that that's kind of where I went with it. But there's there's a lot of places where I could definitely see it. Yeah, I, I like to pick. I mean, I think Ohio State's a great case study here because they often line up with just two receivers. I mean, last season it was Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and I mean, they bring other receivers in tight ends whatever, but they just had so much more flexibility in their offense because any given down one of those two guys is going to win his route and you're going to have a great option to get in the ball and of course it helps have justin fields throwing the ball but um well and that was that just, was the like, big criticism on justin fields right is he would just lock in on one wide receiver and it was like well yeah he's open why wouldn't he <laughs> like <laughs> right right and like when you don't have those receivers, you have to put more options in routes, right? Whether it's another wide receiver or two or a good route running pass catching tight end or running back out of the backfield, you need more options out there just to increase the chances that someone is going to get 
enough separation to, to get you a really good opportunity in the passing game. But when you have one or two of those guys who you can rely on winning the routes more times than not, you have so much more flexibility in the personnel and the plays you're calling RPOs where you only have two guys, one or two guys running a route. Um, yeah, no, I, I like the pick. I, like I said, I was thinking about a wide receiver. I just was hesitant to start on the outside because you can only get him the ball so many times, but yeah, well, that's, um, that's what yeah, it I came mean, it down to different... for me was like, there's, there's a ton of positions that I think are super important, obviously, but there's a lot of positions that I think are, are, they can be hidden by an opponent's game plan easier, if that makes sense. So you know, a, a great corner, let's say a lockdown corner, he's only going to be able to cover one guy. And if your other corner sucks, they're just going to pick on him the whole game. And, you know, a great linebacker. Well, a great linebacker, he's he's going to get tackles five yards down after the line of scrimmage if his defensive line isn't that good. Like, yeah, he'll go up and make the tackle every time, but if it's five, six yards into the line of scrimmage and they're getting six yards of carry, it doesn't really matter that he's making the tackle every time and he, he never misses a tackle because it's the, they're still getting seven yards of carry, right? Like th- there's a lot of positions that I thought about. And then the more you think about it, it's like, well, how much is one guy going to impact it? So I, and I think that's where I landed on was one guy at wide receiver like at Michigan State, we had a perfect example in Charles Rogers. Everybody in the building and everybody watching on TV and everybody that was reading in the newspaper the next day knew who the ball was going to and they still couldn't stop him. It was just that type of dynamic playmaker. When you're that good at wide receiver and there's nothing anybody can do to stop you, you just need a quarterback to get the ball somewhere near you, right? <laughs> So for the sake of conversation, rapid fire, if you had to pick a defensive position, where would you go? D-line. I somewhere on the D-line just because again like it's it's probably the one you can you can hide from the least. Like probably yeah. it like I, again, we're we're waving the magic wand here so I can get like the Aaron Donald. Obviously, we're not going to get an Aaron Donald. The Indomitian Sue in in college. There was nothing you could do to game plan against that. You you would double team him. It still doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. And that type of was, dude, he blows up the running game. He gets pressure on the face of the quarterback. So probably someone like that. That pass rushing threat inside on a D line. Yeah, I'm just gonna go with a strong edge rusher. I mean, like a Chase Young again. Yeah, giving a magic wand. Chase Young is generational, but Chase Young won games for Ohio State as one defensive player. I mean, he, he was unblockable with one mm-hmm. person, period. I don't care who the tackle was. He was getting around him at least 50% of the time. In the whole game plan, you have one and a half seconds to develop every offensive play because he's going to be in the backfield. Right. So that, that's plus, where I go, like you said. Plus the once every – yeah, plus the once every game where he gets the strip sack and, and gives you a potential of getting the right. ball on the opponent's 20-yard line. Like Right. Yeah, but yeah, that's where I'd go. Chase Young, just change your name and get a new birth certificate. <laughs> yeah, that's but I think that that's the the idea, right? Is it's it's probably a D line because the rest of the positions are so dependent on everybody else, right? 
you have a great safety and your corners are getting toasted, it, there's nothing you can do to get over there and, and make every play. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's either the D it's the D line somewhere in the D line on defense. I can definitely hear that argument for an offensive lineman, just changing the attitude of the group as a whole. I think there's something to be said about that, right? Running back. It's, it's again, it's too dependent on the offensive line. If Derrick Henry had a terrible offensive line, sure. He could break two tackles, but that might still only get him a six yard gain. So you you need at least a competent defensive line or an offensive line, right? Look at Michigan state the last couple of years. If you inserted Saquon Barkley behind that offensive line, like he's probably running for like 75 yards a game. Like he's a, he is a general, he was a number two overall pick, but if your offensive line sucks, it doesn't matter. So I, I think, you know, you, you think great running backs in college football, like Reggie Bush, maybe that could be somebody just because of how easily he made people miss. But even that, man, I, I just, I would rather have somebody who's less dependent. Yeah. There's a reason the best running back recruits go to Wisconsin, right? Because they have an <laughs> NFL offensive line every year and Alabama, um, and right? Yeah. Melvin Georgia. Gordon and um, Monte ball and all those guys who have come through there would not have been those guys had they not gone to Wisconsin. You know, you look at like a Stanford, places like that, where you know they have one of the best offensive lines in the country, and and that makes an enormous difference. Yeah, and they had Christian McCaffrey and uh, Toby Gerhardt and who was the other? Bryce Love. Um, no, but I, like the, the case study too is look at, you remember Cam Akers at Florida State. Like he was, he ran for like three and a half yards a carry because that offensive line was dog shit. So it was like, he's, he's breaking two tackles just to get back to the line of scrimmage, let alone gain yardage. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I'd go. I, like you said, it's tough to make it game changing difference, like in individual plays as an offensive lineman, but having a leader and a strength in that unit takes so much pressure off the other guys. Uh, to just focus on what they're doing, knowing, you know, one or two of the other guys around them are, are a consistent win every play. Yeah. So let's, let's wrap it there. I think uh, we, some good, good, good stuff today here. I hope that people enjoyed some rambling and uh, you know, we're in, we're in the thick of the off season. So there's going to be a lot of uh, off topic stuff, but we'll make sure we always tie it back to Michigan state in the end. Uh, like I said, soon, I think the, the, probably the crown jewels of the offense of the off season that we still have ahead of us, we're going to do a draft of the current roster. We'll snake draft and see, you know, we'll get some fan interaction with that. I'm going to put out a list of my top 40 running backs of all time at Michigan state last off season. I did the quarterbacks. If you want to go way back in the, in the library and find that episode, we did that. This year, we'll do the running backs, so that you'll have to look forward to. Other than that, we have some ideas, but we're definitely open to uh, more. So email us at standingroomspartans at gmail.com. Again, that's just the name of the podcast, standingroomspartans at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for shows, if you have any questions that you want us to hit on, if you want to join us, I don't know, just let me know. We'll, We'll try to work something out. Hit us up on Twitter at StandingRoomMSU and at SpartanMartin18. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Please share with your friends if you enjoy it. 
And if you enjoy it, please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out um, in, in growing the audience here as we inch towards MSU football. Um, today is Sunday as I'm recording. The countdown is is going strong. Yesterday was the great George Webster, arguably the greatest Michigan State football player ever, uh, number 90. Today is number 89, and I haven't put out the tweet yet, but off the top of my head, we got Shalik Calhoun was 89. Yep. Yeah. Um, trying to think of of any uh, what, what number was Marcus Rush? Yeah, I think I he was like in a, the, he was in the no, 90s, he was like forty four, wasn't he? Oh yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, probably Shalik Calhoun because he's the first one that came to mind that I know was number eighty nine. But we'll, he did go in the forties to honor forty four. Um, who was it? Ed Davis that was hurt and he wore. Uh, 43, I think Shelly Calhoun did for oh, you're right. a game, yeah. if not a season. Um, but no, I know he was 89 most of his time there. I want to say current number 89. We're just going on a tangent. I want to say, uh, us. Draymond Green put on 89 in the uh spring game when he was. We, d- we do not have a current 89. Uh, so. Matt Dotson. I think Shelly Tal- Calhoun is going to take the cake yeah. over Matt Dotson. But... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, make sure you follow along with that. That's always a lot of fun. We have 89 days uh, as you're listening. No, 88 days as you're listening because you'll be listening tomorrow. Uh, who I, yeah, my brain's fried. I, I can't even think of an 88 off the top of my head. So let's uh, let's wrap this before my brain really fries and I start rambling even more than we already have. Hope everybody has a, a magnificent Monday and a great rest of your week here. Uh, Until next time, go green. Go white. Take care, folks.